welcome to all those who are joining us for the Sunday service, Sunday the 27th of February 2022. Let's start by just reading the word, Romans 10, I'm going to read from verse 6 to verse 15. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen to this. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word yet again. We thank you for the life that is in it. May that life be received by us this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask you, we invite you to take the words that we speak and bring revelation, enlighten the eyes of our understanding that we may perceive what you are saying to us individually and as a church. And we come against every evil force that would want to stop this word from reaching the hearts and minds of those within the sound of my voice. We trust you, Father God, to make your word produce that for which it was sent. In the wonderful, matchless name of Yeshua, our Lord. Amen. Now last week we shared a message entitled, True Salvation. And if you recall, we spoke at length about this term salvation, what it actually means, what it actually is. And the point we made is that salvation, God's salvation, should affect every area of our lives. Simply stated, salvation is God's goodness manifesting in our lives on a daily basis. It's not only for one day, pie in the sky when we die. No, it's for every day. And as Christians, we shared that it's important that we understand how God's salvation is available to us and we taught on how to access that salvation which we'll talk about a bit more later. But what I want to focus on this morning is the fact that, you see, this wonderful salvation, which, as we read, we are not to neglect, doesn't just apply to us. In fact, that salvation, although we must take it with both hands and enjoy it, our function is to take that salvation to those around us. And the title of this message is Bearing Salvation, Carrying the Salvation to Others. You'll note 
in the instances I cited last week, where God's salvation manifested in such wonderful ways, there was always human agency involved. For God's salvation to manifest, he has to use a man, a woman as the case may be. If you think about Israel being delivered from the Egyptians, yes, God parted the waters, yes, God closed the waters, yes, God caused the wind to blow, etc., etc. But before he could do that, he had to have a man. He had to have Moses hear his voice and raise his staff, you see. If Moses had not heard, had not raised his staff, God would not have been able to deliver Israel. Similarly, in the wilderness, confronted by terrible thirst, yes, God caused the water to pour out of the rock to give water to all those animals and people, but he had to have somebody, Moses in this case, to strike the rock first. You see, we need to grasp this. For salvation to reach others, to reach mankind, God has to use a channel, and that channel is always a human being. The obvious example, of course, is when God wanted to save the earth, bring salvation to the entire earth, what did he have to do? He had to send a man. And that's why Yeshua came to the earth to bring salvation. And in all the instances where we see in his life salvation breaking out in the lives of people, he had to do something. Salvation just doesn't happen automatically. It has to be initiated by human beings laid hands on the sick, he spoke the word, he taught, he preached. You understand? So you see, we've got to grasp that whereas it's wonderful for us to enjoy God's salvation for ourselves, that's not the end game. We are responsible to take that salvation to others. And if I look in my life, very often when salvation has come my way, there's always been somebody involved. One of the most beautiful examples I can recall happened about 20 years ago. We were running a small church then, as now, and I was very busy praying for the sick at Unitas Hospital. One day in particular, I came home after a very trying day in the children's ward. One child in particular, he'd contracted cancer, I think, of some description. And I'm not sure of the details, but he was in a very bad way. He was in a coma, I think. Anyway, I prayed as best I could, and I came home, realizing that the battle had to be fought in prayer. Well, coming home was a wonderful thing, but there was one problem. We had very little food. In fact, I don't think we had any food at all on that occasion. Anyway, I think we gave what food we had to the children, sent them off to bed. Janet went to bed as well, and I was alone in the lounge. And this was the thinking that went through my head. I did think it was a bit unfair that I had to fight for other children, and my children seemed to be neglected. But I've learnt long since not to get involved with pity parties. Anyway... I knelt by the couch, this is so real in my memory, I knelt by the couch and I prayed to the Lord and I said, Father God, the situation at the hospital needs prayer and I'm going to do my best 
But to be honest, I feel very weak because I hadn't really had anything to eat. Anyway, I sort of began to get going and just as I did so, there was a knock on the door. I opened the door and there was a young man who used to be part of our church. He was, well, he still is, I believe, a diesel mechanic working in Cullinan Mine. And there he stood, and in his hands were pick-and-pay packets filled with groceries. And he said, the Lord told me, bring this to you. Well, I ushered him in, of course. And you know, as he came into that house, I felt the presence of God fill that whole place. Anyway, after a brief chat, cup of tea, he went on his way. I obviously opened the packets, had a few things to eat, and then knelt by the couch again with renewed strength. And I began to pray. Eventually, I sensed that the breakthrough had been achieved. Looked at my watch briefly, it was 10 o'clock, and I went to bed. The next morning, with my heart in my hands, as is the case in situations like this, I made my way to the hospital. I went into the private ward, only to see him sitting up, this young boy sitting up, Big smile on his face, his mother with him, very happy. I think he was having breakfast, and obviously he had pulled through. I spoke to the mother a bit, and I asked what happened. And she said that in the course of the evening he suddenly woke up, and he asked for popcorn. Now that might seem a bit silly, but in his condition, the moment his appetite returns, that's a positive sign that he's on the mend. Anyway, obviously he had his popcorn and maybe something else to eat and started to look a bit better. I just asked her as I was going out of that wall, do you remember what time it was that he woke up? You guessed it, 10 o'clock. Now, what I'm trying to say is that we experienced, I experienced, that family experienced salvation. But what did it take? It took a young man with a good heart who heard God and in his own simple way did what he felt God was telling him to do. Having no clue what the consequences of his selfless act would have. You see, my point is God had to use somebody to bring salvation. And you see, he's looking to you and I to do the same. In my own life, I can remember certain moments, there are many, but some stand out, and the one that I always remember and often refer to, because I found it such a wonderful story, is the occasion Sarah and I were having chips, her favorite meal at that stage, she was a little girl, at the Wimpy, at Centurion Lake. And we were out in the sun there, enjoying ourselves, and very close by was an elderly lady, 
When I say elderly, I'm talking about elderly. The Afrikaans language as a term, stock out. And I think that was a classic case. She looked half fossilized. But anyway, she was enjoying the sun like us, and she mentioned to me that I had a beautiful daughter. Well, of course, I agreed with her, and that started a bit of a conversation. In the course of the conversation, I discovered that she loved flowers and gardening, and obviously, in her life, to a large part, that had been her thing. Led by the Holy Spirit, I believe, I started to talk to her about the flowers in heaven. I had read of people that had gone to heaven and come back, and many of them described the beauty of the flowers there. I explained to her that they were colors that we couldn't even imagine. They were so big, some of them, bigger than we would ever believe a flower could be. And not only that, but that they also sang. And her eyes almost popped out when she heard all this wonderful information about the flowers and the gardens in heaven. Sensing her interest, I asked her this question, obviously a leading question. I said to her, wouldn't you like to see those flowers one day? And she said, oh yes, I would. And then, of course, I was able to say to her, well, it's possible. And right now we can make sure that one day you will see all those flowers. Not only see them, be able to walk amongst them and enjoy them. And I asked, would you like to do that? Oh yes, she said. And from there, you see, I was able to lead her in a very simple prayer of salvation. I have no doubt, one day, when I get to heaven, I'll meet her there, and we'll enjoy the flowers together. Amen. My point is this, you see, here was somebody who was almost about to graduate one way or the other. And you see, in a situation like that, one needs to make sure it's not the other, you understand. And so, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I was able to be an agent of God to bring to that elderly lady salvation. Amen? Salvation. Can I just say, there's nothing more rewarding than being the agent of God to bring salvation. In fact, can I just say this? Your and my calling as human beings, primarily, above all else, is to be the agency of God to bring the salvation to the world. Did he not command us? Go into all the world and preach the good news. Amen. So you see, I'm encouraging us to realize that salvation is to be enjoyed by us in all its fullness, yes. But we mustn't stop there. We must take the salvation to others. That is our function. And in doing that, once again, I just want to remind us of the steps to the salvation. If you recall from our study last week, I explained that the process of salvation always, always, always starts with the truth. But you see, it's not good enough just to know the truth. Equally important is this biblical concept of wisdom, which is applying the truth according to God's principles in any given situation. You see, we need to know the truth to start off with. We need to know how to apply that truth in a particular situation. 
And then we have to act on that. We have to act in accordance with that wisdom. If we do that, the result will be salvation, you see. As I mentioned last time, we need to know that Christ died for our sins. What's the godly wisdom? How to apply that truth? Well, we have to accept him as our Lord, you see. And the moment we accept him, whoever calls upon the Lord, as the scripture says, will be saved. Can you see that? Will be saved. But you see, how shall we believe if there's nobody to preach, you see, without a preacher? You all my job is to preach the truth, to take it out there. But you see, it's not good enough just to know the truth. It's not good enough just to preach the truth. We have to, have to, have to explain God's ways of appropriating that truth. We have to also teach wisdom. You see, that's the essential difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching proclaims the truth. Teaching explains how to apply that truth to bring forth salvation. And if you recall, the Lord Yeshua involved himself with both those activities. Sometimes he would stand up to preach. Other times he would sit down and teach. The Sermon on the Mount, for example, the Beatitudes. And always he would act and bring forth the salvation. So you see, we've got to understand this process. It has to be working for us first. We need to know the truth. But in every situation that we come to, if we want to bring salvation into that situation, first of all, we have to know what is the truth. And remember, what is the truth? What does God think about it? In any situation, what are God's thoughts? You see, once we've discerned what God's thoughts are in a situation, our next step is to find out and get assistance from the Holy Spirit as to how to apply that truth. You see, that elderly lady needed to be saved. There's no doubt that she needed to be saved if she wanted to go to heaven. And we had no guarantee whether she was or she wasn't. But you see, I couldn't just say to her, Madam, you need to be saved. Let's pray the prayer of salvation. That would have probably bounced completely off her. What was needed was the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to meet her where she was, you see, and speak to her in a way that she could understand. And she could understand beautiful flowers. So you see, all my duty is to know the truth. In any situation, you will not help the situation by giving good advice. Christian, you and I are not responsible just to give good human advice. In any situation, if we want to bring salvation, we must bring the truth. You see, very often we just want to make people feel good. The classic example, of course, is this whole business of a funeral. And you see, maybe a child has died and the preacher says, Oh, God plucked a flower for his garden up in heaven. You see, now that might, in our human understanding, seem to make people feel better. But it doesn't bring salvation because it's not the truth. You see. The other side of the coin is speaking the brutal truth along the lines of, oh well, the devil stole your child, is not going to help either. Do you understand? We have to bring the truth with wisdom. 
And very often in a situation like that, the fact that we lost the battle is not really the issue right then. The issue is possibly that those parents can see their child one day if they are saved. Amen. But my point is this. In any situation, we are not there to give good psychological advice. We are there to bring forth the truth. But we have to know how to bring the truth. You see, and that's godly wisdom. When we do that, we will always bring salvation. An illustration of this is something an elderly friend of mine mentioned to me. He said that when he was in the army, he was based down in the Western Cape somewhere, I'm not too sure where. But being in the army, they were obliged to go to church on Sunday evenings. The trucks would take them to church and bring them back. And at that stage, he was going with all his mates to the Dutch Reformed Church. And he described to me how every Sunday evening, these young men would go to church and the predicant would stand up in the pulpit and give them hell. He would berate them for their sinful ways and tell them how God is going to punish them one day if they don't change their ways. He said it was so bad that as soon as they got out, they all went and found some place where they could sin as much as possible. You see, the thinking was there's no hope. Now you see, that preacher was preaching the truth, but he was not using wisdom. He was not using wisdom, you see. And that did not bring forth salvation. In the event, it made things a lot worse. The truth, wrongly applied, can do more damage, very often, than a lie. Anyway, let me suggest another alternative that that man of God could have used. Imagine if those young men had arrived at the church expecting to be berated again for their sinful ways, which they all knew about anyway. Imagine if they were to find the preacher standing there, not dressed in his gown, etc., but maybe in jeans and a t-shirt, not in the pulpit, coming down, sitting amongst them and chatting and finding out what their problems were, discussing issues of life and showing how God loved them and how he wanted to help them. Don't you think that would have achieved much more? You see, I believe that sort of approach demonstrates godly wisdom. You see, God didn't come into the world. Christ didn't come to condemn the world. You find him sitting amongst the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the gangsters, sitting amongst them. And if you understand the Greek correctly, they couldn't get enough of him. They wanted to be with him. You see, he was bringing to them salvation. Salvation. But you see, he was bringing it with wisdom it was reaching them. And you see, that's our duty. Our duty is to reach people. Now, in any situation, for you and I to bring salvation, our number one priority is to discern the need. You see, salvation in all its fullness is brought to people at their point of need. Amen. 
the man that was paralytic all those years by the pool of Bethesda. What was his need? That man had the need to be healed, to be able to walk. Please understand something. God's salvation always comes to the point of need. God's salvation always meets the need. As a young man, godless environment I came from, my great need was to be saved. Salvation for me right there, apart from all the other things that I needed, salvation was for me to become part of the kingdom of heaven, to know that there was an eternity, you see. And for you and I, as ministers of this salvation, our function is, in every situation, to discern the need and realize that God's desire is to bring salvation to any particular need. If somebody is sick, what is the need? Obviously, they need to be healed. They don't need necessarily to know that God loves them and that they must just keep going. When I was weary and about to pray for that young boy that was sick, what was my need? Not necessarily for somebody to come alongside and say, keep going, you're doing a great job. God is watching you. No, the need was for food. You understand? God's salvation is extremely practical. The Israelites faced with annihilation by the Egyptians didn't need a handbook on national governance. Moses didn't need that. What did he need? He needed a sea to be part. In the wilderness, Israel didn't need the book of Leviticus on dietary laws, although that was to come later. What did they need right then? What was salvation for them right then? Water gushing from the rock, you see. So you and I are bringing salvation to people. Our job is to discern the need. Now, having said that, it is true that very often the need is obvious. If somebody is sick, most likely the primary need is for healing. However, please note something. There are occasions where the real need isn't obvious. That's why we need to rely on the Holy Spirit in general and the gift of the word of knowledge in particular. You see, you look at the Lord in that house and this paralytic is let down through the roof. You and I might have thought, well, the obvious need here is for him to be healed. And yes, that was a great need. But you see, before the Lord did that, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. There was a greater need, you see, in his life. God knows what sin a paralytic can get up to. But anyway, it was necessary for him to know that he was forgiven. That was the greater need, you see. And I would suggest that if that greater need hadn't been met, he wouldn't have been able to receive his healing. So you see, very often you and I come into a situation you might have a person who's battling with, say, alcoholism. And obviously they probably need 
deliverance from a spirit of alcohol. But do you know that very often things like that are caused by much deeper, deeper problems? Very often, sense of anxiety or inadequacy. God knows, you see, very often, outward sin is motivated by inward unhappiness. So you see, to bring salvation to every situation, we need to know what the truth is. A person, for example, who's battling with an alcohol addiction or whatever addiction, the truth is God wants to set them free. We need to know that. We need to also know the truth is that God is well able to set them free. Well able. We don't have to do it. We don't have to be able to do it. God can do it. However, our responsibility is to find out from God the wisdom of the situation. How do we go about ministering salvation in this particular instance? Can you see that? It's an ongoing process, process of learning. But you see, the more you and I are involved with it, the more effective we become as the Holy Spirit trains us from day to day. So I'm just encouraging us this morning to realize that we have a responsibility not only to embrace and to nurture the great salvation that God has made available to us. And of course, that is the starting point. But we must, must, must go beyond that and take the salvation into the world. Realizing that we must bring the truth into every situation. But not just bring the truth. Apply the truth with the wisdom that God only can supply. And as we do that, can I just say, life takes on a different turn. There's no greater joy for any human being than to be used by God to bring this great, great salvation to a needing and dying world. Be blessed in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen.